Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road campus. I love being one of your pastors. I love this place and the people here. I'm excited to share the sermon with you this morning because this is a topic that I have wondered a lot about myself over the years, and I've wanted to learn more and more about it. And so it's been a pleasure to dig into this and learn a lot about it over the last little while, apply it to my life and put it in a sermon for you. So we're discussing the theme of living generously these weeks surrounding Thanksgiving. It's the time of year where we're thinking about giving and generosity. So it's the perfect time to dig into the Bible and see what the Bible has to say regarding these topics. Um, And we know that we can be generous in a lot of different ways. One of them is money. And so we are going to talk about the money way today. And um, Jesus, the Bible talks a lot about money. And Jesus, did you know that over half of his parables were about money? I didn't know that. Um, And I think it's because how we view money and how we handle money says so much about our relationship with God. Are we trusting him? Are we surrendered to him? Do we give him our first and our best, or do we give him our last and our leftovers? Um, you know, when we give, what's our motivation? Is it a pure, is it coming from a pure place or are we giving to be noticed? And these are all so important. Um, okay. Um, so it affects our relationship with God. So we're going to answer the question, what does the Bible teach us about giving of money? So I'm going to cover four types of giving um, from the Bible and talk about what were their purposes when they first are talked about and what are their purposes today in our lives. And I know that some church leaders and churches have abused this area, which is very sad. Um, You know, maybe guilting people or forcing them into giving. And um, so I think that we should not avoid talking about it, even though it's been handled poorly in the past. I think we should talk about it in a healthy way and um, appropriate way because healing comes by experiencing a healthy approach to a scenario that was improperly dealt with before. That's how healing can come and righteousness can be restored. So that's what I want to do today. And my goal is to inspire you to incorporate all these forms of giving in your life And I want you to be aware, as Christ followers, what the Bible says about money so you can obey, as well as be blessed and enjoy the benefits and the joy that comes from giving. So I want to encourage the giving hearts in here. So many of you are, you just have a giving heart. You have a generous heart. And I want to encourage that heart and say, well done. If you're already doing these areas of giving, great job. You're doing it. And I know that is many of you in this room already. So the first area that we're going to talk about is tithe. Tithe is giving 10% back to God of any um, increase or income. So I need a volunteer. We need to act this out so you can really understand tithe. So let me see here. Who wants to volunteer, first of all, or I could just Pick somebody. Any volunteers? <laughs> what? 
I, I see a hand in the back. Or Eli, my nephew. Oh, I'm sorry, he won. Come on up, Eli. <laughs> a little bit of family favoritism. Okay, so if I'm pretending to be God here, you stand here. I feel like I need to stand up here if I'm going to pretend to be God. Okay. So <clears throat> I have created you. I love you. My plan is to provide for you. And um, so this is, I'm going to give you everything you need. And I happen to have this monopoly money. I mean, real money. And so I'm going to give you um, everything you would need. But what I want you to do is give 10% back to me to show that you love and trust me and understand how this all works. So here you go. And I'm going to, and I want you to steward that. So you give 10% back. There's 10 there, by the way. So you can just give one. You don't have to count it. <clears throat> okay. And give one back. Well done. I am so pleased. Wait, you're not done yet. You're not done yet. And because you did that, I give more than you give. So there's that back. And you're going to go about your life. Stay on, your life is on this platform. So you're going to go about your life. And you're going to give to people. You're going to give to um, the people in Malawi that you and your family love. You're going to um, give to all these things. You're going to pay your bills. Pretend you have bills. I'm, I'm a bill. Oh, you pay your Uncle Bill. <laughs> and, and you're just being so faithful and so generous. And I am just so generous with you. So I'm going to give you more. And just and, and keep, keep going about your life. And then... You know, you're moved, you want to give back, and so you just give an offering back to me, to God, because you're so um, in love back with me. Okay, so this is how money works. This is how tithe works, people. You get it? Okay, you can sit down. I'll take the Monopoly money back. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so when we're tithing, we acknowledge that God is our provider, we're reminding ourselves of that, and it shows that we believe that. We're acknowledging that everything belongs to him, and even though we're working our jobs, it's him who gave us the ability to do our job um, and provides that for us. And um, so when we give him the 10%, he blesses us with the 90 that's left and more. And, um, you know, his standards never bring bondage. And so he set this as a standard. It's going to better our lives. It, um, all of his standards, right? There's so many examples. Just like God says, keep sex within marriage. Love one another as you love yourself. All of his standards um, bring fruitfulness, better our lives and the lives of others. And tithing is the same way. So um, there's some Old Testament passages that I'm going to talk about. The first mention of the tithe, the giving of the 10%, is when uh, Abraham gives it to Melchizedek. Abraham gave him a tithe, a tenth of all of his increase. And then Jacob, um, well, when God visits Jacob in Genesis 28, remember when Jacob is fleeing from Esau and um, God visits him, and Jacob is promised protection by the Lord. And Jacob responds by promising God many things if God will go with him and protect him and bless him. And one of the things Jacob commits to is 
says, God, I'm going to give you a tenth of all that you give me in blessing and wealth. And so Jacob also um, gives the tenth and gives the tithe. And so these are initiated outside of the law of, law of Moses. So that means that it's not completed and finished and contained within the law of Moses or within the old covenant. Um, so then the law of Moses and the old covenant does talk a lot about tithing as well, give, gives lots of description and application for them, tithe 10% from the land, the trees, the flocks, everything. And then who does the tithe go to? One of the places that question is answered is in Numbers 18.21. I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving at the tent of meeting. And so when it says, I have given the children of Levi, because it says, I have given, this shows that it's God's and it's his choice to give, and he chose the Levites to be the beneficiary of the tithe, but it's his to give. So the Levites' role um, would, they would lead during the temple services, they would maintain the temple, they would, you know, oversee construction of the temple, they would serve, they would teach. So um, those caring and leading in the corporate place of worship is where that, that tithe would go towards. So today, that would be you know, the staff and those caring for the corporate place of worship here. That's how it relates to today. And the church leaders then are responsible to use it in an appropriate way, and we're held accountable for that. And, and your responsibility, my responsibility too, is to tithe um, to God happens to be the church where he wants it to go. Um, in Malachi 3, 8 through 10, it says, um, how are we robbing you? So the people were, God was saying, you're robbing me. And they were like, how are we doing that? And he said, because of the tithes and offerings, you're not giving them to me. You're not bringing them. So, um, and he says, bring in the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room to store it. And so the tithe is, is given, and we're not to, when we don't give, it's not that the Israelites were robbing the Levites, they were actually robbing God because it was his. So, and, and this great blessing is promised. Um, and he just does that, like when we're faithful, just like Eli was so abundantly blessed with monopoly money, we're blessed. So there's this story, this man that um, I know who, he and his wife hadn't tithed, and they decided they were going to do that. They were going to start, you know, um, giving in that way, and he owned his own business. And when, as soon as he started tithing, he was kind of like, wonder what's going to happen? Is there going to, you know, be a change? And he just felt this contentment. But all of a sudden, this big embezzlement um, situation that was happening within his company was uncovered. And it was a clear example of God blessing his business and his finances because of his faithfulness and trust in God to give him the tithe. Amazing stories like that. So, and then we come into the New Testament. Um, and we know in the New Testament, every command is increased. 
the, um, in the state of our hearts and minds is what matters so greatly. So instead of just don't commit adultery, God's like, don't even look lustfully. You know, instead of don't murder, don't be angry with your brother or sister. And so every command has this increase. And so how does that apply to money? Well, for one, we know that the attitude of our heart when we give matters hugely, you know, that we're doing it from a place of trust and, and contentment and gratefulness. Um, and then some, um, because the commands are increased, some feel moved to give more than 10% in tithe. Um, so Jesus affirms tithing, and I want to read this verse to you in Luke eleven forty two. Um, he says, Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. And so he's speaking harshly to the Pharisees because they were so meticulous with their act of tithing in their herb garden, taking their little leaves, one for you, God, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine mint leaves for me. And they, because they cared so much about the letter of the law being seen as strict observers of the law, and they thought they could gain their righteousness that way. And God's like, you're, you're forgetting about loving other people and the justice. Now, I still want you to tithe, but hey, these other things are super important. And so we know that um, Jesus affirms that. Um, I was moved by a testimony of a friend who wanted to tithe, but... <clears throat> He had a really um, large house payment, and his, like, his mortgage was so big he couldn't really give. He just didn't have enough money to go around for his bills, and so he actually sold his house and moved into a, you know, a house with a smaller mortgage so that he could you know, tithe and give the way you know, his heart wanted to give and the way he was moved to do that. Isn't that amazing and beautiful? Like, yeah. Such a practical application. Okay, so the second type of giving is offerings. So offerings are a voluntary amount, while the tithe is kind of this percentage. An offering was a lot more um, freeform with whatever you wanted to do. And there are so many examples in the Old Testament of free will offerings. I'm going to highlight a few. Um, the first time we see it mentioned is in Exodus 35. God gives Moses instructions for the tabernacle, and the people respond by bringing um, all sorts of material and bronze and silver and wood and stones and spices. And then later again, um, they give to David, who gives to Solomon to build the temple. This is a free will offering, and then again in rebuilding the temple after the Babylonian captivity, there's this big free will offering that the people give. And then the Bible mentions that um, in the millennial kingdom about free will offerings in Ezekiel 46, which I thought was pretty cool. So um, those are some Old Testament examples. And then in the New Testament, 
Generosity is encouraged so vastly. Um, every form, so the, the free will offering is just going to be, you know, all the sort of random things, giving um, to a mission here and um, helping to raise money for a building project or um, a celebration or for guest ministry, an honorarium for guest ministry. So a variety of things, any, any godly cause that you're inspired and moved to do would fall under this category. And um, I was thinking about it, and I think there are several reasons why a Christian wouldn't give. And I, this list isn't exhaustive, but these are a few that came to my mind. And one is, like, if they struggle with greediness, and they're dealing with greediness, they're thinking, I want to get all I can for myself. They kind of have a hoarding mentality. Um, and they're thinking about storing up treasure for themselves on earth. So I think that would be a reason why someone might not give. Another would be if they um, deal with like stinginess or have a scarcity mentality, like they're afraid right. there's not going to be enough. And so I have to keep a tight hold on what I have. And this often comes from a result of trauma where there was a time in that person's life where there wasn't enough. Um, and so that's in, that kind of gets ingrained in them. And maybe even though they're not in that situation now, they're, they still think like that. And tied to that, I think that's a big one. Um, and then some people, you know, might not give if they, they don't feel that they can. Maybe they have a ton of debt. Um, and then another reason is they just didn't know. They didn't know the different ways in the Bible and that they were supposed to, and they're willing to follow biblical principles, but they just never learned. Um, I think when you're a young adult, it's a great time to start thinking about, you know, a budget and, and how you're going to delegate your money. And, and right then, put, put tithe and giving in your budget, um, build it in, and really that applies to any age, but I think that's a time in life when you start to maybe think about budgeting for the first time. So I want to tell you um, my story and how I was encouraged to be more generous. So I would say that I had um, some stinginess going on, and <clears throat> I remember just admiring people in my life who were a lot more generous than I was. <clears throat> I would see it in them. I, Bill was, is very generous, was very generous at the time as well. Different family members and friends of mine. And um, I would, when he would give, I remember being a little worried, like, okay, but what about us, you know? You know, are we going to have enough? And what about me? And so it just kind of revealed some of these feelings that were um, there was something deeper going on, and I remember seeing that it was there and starting to talk to God about it. <clears throat> and um, some uh, people that we were close with at the time, we found out that they would play this game where every month they had this amount of money. I don't remember if it was like 50 or $100, but every month they would <clears throat> decide what they would do with it, who they would give it to, or what ministry they would give it to, and just the surprise 
free will offering. And I was just so inspired by that. And so Bill and I started doing that each month, taking turns and, you know, whether it was a friend we knew was struggling or giving it to a missionary or can't even remember all the different things we did with it. Um, but that was, that was really kind of a cool way to start expanding my generosity. And it was towards the end of 2010, and I was tithing, but I would say I was like tithing like, like God, you know, um, he had to kind of, you know, um, squeeze it out of the, out of my hand a little bit. But I wanted to, but I was holding on to it. Um, but it was the end of 2010, and I was, and um, these friends of ours tithed more than 10%. And I was just so inspired by that. And I was like, God, I want to do that too. <clears throat> so I made this decision that I was going to, I was going to tithe 10% for the rest of 2010, but then as soon as the calendar switched to 2011, I was going to tithe 11% that year. And so I did that. I did that every year um, until I reached the percent that I wanted to get to. And it was amazing because it was God just allowed um, me to stretch slowly over time and I could learn, I learned slowly over time that I could trust him yeah. and how good he was. And at the end of every year, I would do my taxes, and I would find that my income had increased more than the greater amount I had given to him in tithe. And I was like, wow. In some years, I was like, I don't know how you're going to do this, God, because I didn't work any extra hours this year. Like, I didn't do anything different, but it was always more. And so I just love that because God just, he's so patient and kind with us. And he um, is patient and kind with you in whatever you're growing in, whatever you're working on. And he'll show himself faithful through, through the journey. So you really can engage with it and grow wherever you're at. Just grow from there. And so giving is really, um, it's so much less about the money itself and where it goes to. And it's so much more about, it's a, it's a God encounter over your money and your possessions. The beneficiary ends up being the church. But... It's more about me obeying him and following what he says to do and engaging in the relationship in that way and growing my trust in him and him proving himself faithful time and time again. And so I heard this quote that was um, great. It said, um, my need to give exceeds any, or any organization's need to receive. My need to give exceeds any organization's need to receive. So if the church said, you know what, our bank accounts are full, don't give anymore. Or like Moses told the people, stop donating. We have enough that we need to, for the tabernacle. We have enough. You know, if, if that was ever said, <clears throat> I would still need to give. Right. We would still need to give because our giving isn't dependent on the need. Yeah. All right, so the third form of monetary giving that the Bible talks about is first fruits. 
This is given from every new increase in our life, any new source of income. Now, this is a much more infrequent gift. Um, you know, it doesn't happen really that often. But Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So the Hebrew word for first fruit is bakurim, which literally is translated promise to come. And so the Israelites saw these first fruits as an investment in their future. That God told them if they would bring their first fruits to him, he would bless all that came afterward. Consecrating the first to him is really important in our life. So the first paycheck from a new job, or if you have an increase in your salary, that first um, bit of increase, any new blessing that you receive counts as a first fruit. Um, and giving of the first fruit shows that you're grateful um, and that you're acknowledging the blessing comes from him, and it's a form of worship, and um, you open then that huge avenue of blessing. How many of you want your barns to overflow and your vats to <laughs> overflow? <laughs> okay. So um, where do the first fruits go? Ezekiel 44.30 says, the first of all first fruits of every kind and every contribution of every kind from all your contributions shall be for the priests. You shall also give to the priests the first of your dough to cause a blessing on the rest of your house. All these blessings. Okay, so the first fruits were presented to the priest, um, whereas the tithe was presented to the Levites. And so um, we... That translates today where the first fruits are given to the pastor. So anyone who is like spiritually leading you and you see them as spiritually leading you um, would be appropriate to give the first fruits to. I remember I think my first paycheck that I got when I, with this job years ago, I um, think I, I gave it to a pastoral assistant at the time who really was pouring into my life and, and leading me spiritually. I chose to give it to that person. Um, I know of, um, you know, like a young person who just gets their first job and they're trying this, um, who will give it to their parent because their parent is the one spiritually guiding them. But the majority of the time, it would go to a pastor. <clears throat> And so it's really important that whenever you do give a first fruit offering, that you do it freely with no guilt or obligation. It's just supposed to be a celebration of all that God has done for you in expectation and excitement for all that is to come. So <clears throat> first fruit is also mentioned in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul mentions Christ as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Jesus was God's first fruits, his one and only son. God gave Jesus up for us in the same way we sacrifice the best we have for him. So what started as a specific instruction for bringing crops to the temple priests no longer refers to literal fruit, 
It means any income, wealth, or blessing that a Christian has received over the course of the year. So that's first fruits. And the last one, the fourth one, is almsgiving. So this is money specifically designated for the poor. And it's only used for the needy, the destitute. The Old Testament has lots of different ways that um, the needy were shown care. One way is there was a required sacrifice um, if you sinned in Leviticus 5. So if you, if you sinned, you were to confess your sin and then bring a goat or a lamb as a sin offering. But then it says, if you cannot afford a goat or a lamb, you can bring two doves or two pigeons to the Lord as penalty for sin. So this is an example of God himself showing generosity to the poor. Um, and then another example is there was a system of release from debt in the Old Testament. This is an amazing passage from Deuteronomy, several verses I lumped together. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and needy in your land. And the last one is through gleanings, and this would be unharvested margins around your fields. Um, so this was an Old Testament practice where farmers had to leave an unharvested margin so the poor could come and pick from it. And, um, you know, just not just the poor, uh, foreigners, widows, orphans could come and get food that way. Um, and I think how that applies to today is that we should not budget down to every last dollar, that we should leave a margin where we can have a little bit of flexibility if, if an alms need were to come up. Um, and that applies to our time, too, you know, not scheduling down to the very last minute. So we leave a little margin of time to give should, should something arise, and we want to we're stirred to do that. Okay, and then the New Testament is very full of alms verses and passages and stories. So <clears throat> there's several places where um, it talks about this giving effort, this massive giving effort among many different churches to help poor Christians in Jerusalem. Now, why Jerusalem? Well, we know that they had a huge amount of widows that they were um, caring for. And they were also in the midst of a famine. So those are probably two of the reasons. So um, we're going to take some giving nuggets of truth from this passage, talking about this collection. This is from 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 3. Now, about the collection for God's people, 
do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. So what can we learn about giving from this passage? That giving should be planned. There was a plan in place. It's like all these other churches are doing it. And the reason we're going to do it this way, collect ahead of time, so when I get there, we don't have to do it at the last minute and we're hurry scurrying around. Then I've got this letter introducing the one who's going to bring it. And so it's just, it was a planned, planned thing. So our giving um, could be planned. It can be spontaneous too, but there's value in planning it. It should be regular. It said on the first of every week, you set aside a sum of money. And so this was a, um, a regular thing to do. And then it should be proportional. Giving is always proportional. It says in keeping with his income. So, um, you know, God knows that we all have different amounts of income and, and some, you know, not very much and some a lot more. And that doesn't actually matter. What matters is that we give something and, and so it's appropriate that would be proportional to what one has. And then another passage that we're going to pull some nuggets of truth that we can apply to our lives is from 2 Corinthians 9, and I'm just going to sum up a couple of these verses. So they were, it's talking about the same collection for the same poor Christians in Jerusalem in this chapter, and um, Paul is saying, um, he's telling the Corinthians church, I've been bragging about you guys because you are so generous the stories about your generosity is, in, is encouraging. Now the Macedonians are giving, and so this big generosity is just contagious. And then Paul talks about whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. So we see that our giving should be generous because it's, it's seed. When we give, picture seeds. You're sowing seeds. If you just sow a couple little ones, your harvest is going to be pretty small, um, and you want a big garden and all, you know, a big return, so more. And that's the dynamic that um, the Bible teaches. So our giving should be generous. And it should be freely given. Don't give to God out of pressure. Paul said, therefore, as everyone is purposed in his own heart, so let him set aside. So as you purpose it in your own heart, Um, you know, something that you and your family decide on what you're going to give. It's also private, you know, um, discuss it between you and your family. Decide what you want to freely give and do that. And then giving should be cheerful. How many of you know the verse, God loves a cheerful giver? Um, That word cheerful can also be translated hilarious. So, Let me just read you this verse. And let him give hilariously, because God loves a hilarious giver. (laughs) This is, that's how God wants us to give. That hilariously. Okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so whatever you can give to God hilariously, give. (laughs) 
And then the last um, scripture that we're going to read about giving is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. And you can turn there if you want to, if you have your Bibles, Matthew 6, verse 19. And it says, I do have it on the slide for you as well. <clears throat> do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. That literally means don't treasure treasure on earth because that stuff's going to break down, rust, get stolen. It's not going to be eternal. There's nothing intrinsically bad about you know, these material possessions on earth, but there's, there's no eternal value. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye, if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So was that ever confusing to everyone? Like, aren't we talking about treasure in heaven, and now we're talking about bad eyes? Like, what does this mean, Jesus? Well, a good eye was someone who was generous. And an evil eye or a bad eye was someone who was stingy or greedy or covetous, jealous or um, selfish. Um, and so our attitude toward money and toward material treasure will either bring great light and blessing to our lives or great darkness to our lives. So we see it's not a small matter. We can't just be like, oh, I'll just hang on to this greediness in the corner of my heart. It's not that big of a deal. Um, well, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It actually affects everything, and it is a darkness that affects all of us. Um, and so we don't want to hold on to that. Verse, the next verse. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And this is really interesting because in this verse, Jesus just gave money a spiritual um, characteristic. There's two altars. Serve God, serve money. How many of us know we can only, we're only to serve one God, not two? So money is not just this financial tool. It's, it's, there's a, actually, you can serve it. It can be a God. Um, and so I just want to encourage us this morning, you know, to think about that and to seek first the kingdom of God and to trust him with every area of need that we have and to make sure we're worshiping God, not money. We can trust him to take care of us and provide for us. In every verse I read you about what he has called us to do as far as giving always included a blessing. So it's not like, I want you to give so that you don't have it, so you'll be without and have to grovel around. No, it's, 
Um, it's, it's, it's how he created the relationship to work and to flourish best when we, when we um, do it that way. So I'm just going to invite you to stand. Let's pray. And, um, you know, which master are you serving? Are you serving God or are you serving money and, and more consumed with material things? And so um, I just invite you today to make that right in your heart if you need to and repent for that and, and bow down and, and put God first, put his kingdom first. And then he'll take care of making sure that all these other things will be added unto you. And if you're here this morning and you have never um, confessed Jesus as Lord and you've never um, acknowledged him as, as the master of your life and you'd like to do that today, you see maybe for the first time or you're reminded of how much he loves you and what sacrifice he made so that you could be restored in relationship with him, of giving his son, and raising his son from the dead, and making a way for you to be forgiven and restored and experience abundance of life and be promised eternity with him instead of eternity apart from him. And so if that's you today, I want you to pray with me too, confessing God as your master. So Father, repeat after me, we confess that you are our master. We repent if we have served anything other, any other God. We put you first today. Help us to grow in generosity wherever we're at in that journey. Help me to take a step toward your way of giving. Amen. I'm just going to pray a blessing over you. Father, thank you for these people. Thank you for this congregation. We thank you for the word that we could eat from and we could feast on today. Help it to affect our lives. Help us to be more like you and just committed to growing together. Um, to be more and more like you. I thank you um, for the journey that we're all on in this area, and I just pray blessing over everyone's finances that as we give, you would help us to see um, how that impacts our relationship with you and um, the blessing and the fruit and the goodness that comes from doing life your way in the area of money. In Jesus' name, amen.